0: Now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard,
1: Certified Practising Accountant and Financial Advisor.
0: Good afternoon, Stephen. Well, to find out today what our money's looking like, and I believe you're also delving into private health insurance.
1: Yeah, today today we're going to have Mark Fitzgibbon along from uh, NIB Health Funds, the CEO. He's going to talk about private health insurance and um, what are some of the things you should look for in private health insurance and what what you get compared to... uh, By not being in it? By not being in, I suppose, is the question. A comparison between private health and and, uh, the the Medicare system. So that'll be interesting. That'll be a good question number one, I would say. Uh,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Stephen, as always, we'll kick off by having a look at some of the currency and commodity prices at the moment.
1: Yeah, and there's not much happening. It's a bit it's a bit all around the place again this week. So the gold price was, was up $15.83 a tonne in the AUD, which is to $1,828.07 uh, sorry, an ounce. Um, and the the copper price was up, was down $66, $31. $66.31 a tonne to 9176 cents 99 per tonne. And the crude oil price was up $0.68 cents a barrel to... To ninety-four dollars and fifteen cents a barrel. This, uh, yeah, not much change really there. Uh, the currency, the Australian dollar, the Australian dollar was up one point one percent to seventy point nine five U.S. cents. Uh, the Great British against the Great British pound, we were down three point four percent to fifty-three point two. Nine pence, and against the euro, we were sixty-two point six two euro cents, which was down yeah, point zero six euro cents. So, so not not a lot, not, not a lot there. Yeah, the only <laughs> the only major movement was in the in the in the in the US dollar, we were at one point one percent against it, but we're still bumping around that seventy seventy cents. It always um, seems to come back to around there, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think there's going to be much movement in until there's there's something done with interest rates or there's some change in the US. I just think it's just going to bounce around there. Um, And the All Ordinaries Index, the All Ordinaries Index was down 98.2 points in the week to 6,246. The S&P 500 was up 62 points in the week to um, 2,810. And the UK FTSE, which is interesting, the UK FTSE... um, with with the brex the, the 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 there's all this doom and gloom being said about it by the commentators, but the u k equity market's not reflecting that it's up another twenty two points on the week to seven thousand one hundred and fifty nine you you'd have thought you know you would have thought if all this doom and gloom was going to come about in you know what are we talking about sixteen days now the the u k equity market would be would be dropping dramatically, but it's not, it's just... The
0: the numbers don't reflect it The
1: numbers don't reflect it. Uh, And I think, you know, I think, like we know, the case of the Demon gloom merchants have uh, got it wrong. Um... Now, time will tell. We'll know in 16 days. And the Hang Seng Index was up 28 points to 28807 um, A few stocks that local investors seem to like. Um, BHP was down $0.50 cents on the week to $26.87. Um, CBA was up, was down 63 on the week to $73.05. Uh, NIB was down $0.27 cents to $5.51. And Telstra was up $0.03, cents, which surprises me. But anyhow, $3.20. Okay. So and all the, money. You'll just have a look at the fuel, the local fuel, dollar thirty three point four a litre for unloaded in Newcastle, which was was down two point eight cents, and in Sydney, um dollar twenty five point six which was down six point one cents. So it's uh, all interesting there.
0: I still. I know I've said this before. I
1: never ever look at the fuel price. No, I've do never I. done it once. I look at the thing on the car that says I've got to get some fuel, and, <laughs> and when you do the maths, I mean, my car holds about fifty litres, which I think is the common thing. Mm. So you know, I usually try not to get less than a quarter left. So you know, is talking. that
0: still a thing for you, or are you someone that drives around and oh, I've got to put five dollars no, in? No, no,
1: no. <laughs> so I guess so. So that means you fill up about forty litres. <laughs> yeah.
0: So.
1: so you know five cents is going to cost you two dollars difference mm. yeah.
0: time to have a look Stephen, at some of the stories that are happening out there in the marketplace
1: yeah it hasn't been that busy in the market really there's still a lot of the, the market news has only been overshadowed by pictures of Gladys electioneering and mm-hmm. pictures of Scott Morrison. And so, and do uh, we find
0: that generally speaking, when there's elections looming, yeah, unless there's a massive, massive it, story, that everything stays fairly just static. Quiet.
1: Investors don't trying to do anything, and because it creates a bit of uncertainty, and you know, and it's much more exciting to have headlines of, um, um, what was this morning's headline that was everywhere that. Uh, Uh, person attending Gladys' political rally was dragged away screaming. Well, that's much more exciting than having BHP declare a dividend or something.
0: If you actually saw the footage on that, he was uh, upset that he wasn't able to ask a question, but they kept yelling for him to ask a question. He didn't ask one.
1: Oh. I don't know. I never saw it. I just told you he <laughs> someone was, was, was hauled away. He was. Yeah, anyhow, that was so, pretty exciting so, to look at, it's though. though. It's much more exciting than, than Manicay Partners saying that, you know, the MYB takeover is not, the price isn't high enough from KKR. And they've actually gone to court to try and stop it. So that their decision when that came out this morning that the court's just going to go to a vote of shareholders. So we'll see what happens there. So, uh, you know, MYB, no, there's a private equity takeover from KKR. And one of the shareholders is this Manicay hedge fund from New York. And they think the price is isn't high enough so they're trying to do that um, and Sigma Healthcare another takeover Sigma Healthcare is um, a lot of listeners probably know a number of pharmacies um, th- th- there's, there's a number of drug wholesalers and sigma healthcare is one of those so a lot of the pharmacies buy um their drugs off sigma healthcare another pharmacy wholesaler is api so api has made a takeover for sigma healthcare uh the board of sigma has rejected the the offer and saying it undervalues the company and uh, you know you, need, you want to take us over you need to offer some more money so that that's probably got a Way to go!
0: You would think so. so now, I mean, what,
1: what about this Costa? Ah, oh, Costa. Costa was in the news again this week. So, um, so Costa. I don't know. We spoke about uh, Costa came out a couple of weeks ago and said that forty-seven um, percent of the advocados that come from New Zealand are brown in the middle. Of, uh,
0: we did speak about yeah, that a few so weeks anyhow, ago.
1: Anyway, they've they've did a big media release this week and say that you know that. And, the, and then the, the profit fell. So they've they come out this week saying that the um, they're still going to make 30% more profit than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the price of um, raspberries and blackberries and blueberries was very depressed at Christmas, and they've recovered back to their... Um, Back to their seven dollars a pun, I think, for raspberries. That's yeah, six or seven is, yeah, is fair standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I did see one special at some retail this week, two for two for seven dollars. But anyhow, so anyhow, that's what Costa saying that the the, 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 the raspberries and the blueberries are recovered. Um, they're, they're fixing the avocados in, that are grown in Australia and uh, Shim. Um, mm-hmm they don't import them from New Zealand, which is why they were mentioning New Zealand ones. So, you know, you want to go and buy the Costa Avocados and art't around the centre. Yeah, so they're saying that they're going to have a 30% increase in profit. Uh, so that would be interesting.
0: And what can you tell us about Newcrest? They've got a little uh,
1: Yeah, so Newcrest is, a, Newcrest is Australia's largest gold miner. Um, they're, they're down at um, they're, they're, they own the, the large Australian operations down near Orange at Cutter. Um, and they also own uh, Lahir in PNG. So what They've done is um, they've bought a gold mine in British Columbia, and they're paying 1.15 billion dollars for it. and and Newcrest claims that it has this um, super duper mining technology that they're going to roll out in British Columbia and will dramatically increase the profits of this gold mine they've bought by. By I mean, all you can do in, in respect to gold mining really is because the price you get is fixed. I mean, you, you know, you, you, one gold mine can't sell its gold for more than another because it's the same homogenous quantity. So all you can really do to increase your profits in gold mining is to reduce your cost base. So so Nucris claims that they've got this technology. This is where this new u technology comes new in. u is going to extract gold cheaper and they're going to make some more money. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, it wouldn't surprise me because there's a lot of technologies that come from Australia and get rolled out around the world mm. and get forgotten about. Where they've come from. Yeah. So
0: they really they're, this would be a good space to get into because everybody in that industry, all the, all the different mines, would be really clamouring for something.
1: Ah, uh, Yeah, they claim it's only suitable for certain types of mines. Yeah, so. Okay, fair so enough. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And but I just, thought it was interesting. And uh, some news out of those oh, the dreadful yeah, Queensland floods. Queensland, Australian Agriculture claims that um, more than 50,000 of their cattle have died in the Queensland floods. Um, they haven't Put a value on it, but but you know I would have thought you'd be working about a thousand dollars for each of those. Yeah, a lot of not money, not cheap, yeah. and then of course the poor cattle because of the floods, there's no food, so they're having to buy in um, food if they can get it, and hay and stuff to feed the cattle with. So AA company is not in a good. Um, position for the following year's profit, and I think some of their poor cattle are even in a worse position. You
0: would think so. And <laughs> uh, from here, we we talk about uh, mortgage brokers. Then, yeah, they- yeah.
1: So the government came out and did a progressive backflip over the last couple of weeks. Um, so um, the major beneficiaries, I suppose, are mortgage choice, AFG, and uh, Yellowbrick Road. Although Yellowbrick Road doesn't seem to make any money anyhow. So, uh, so, so anyhow. So mortgage brokers, uh, mortgage brokers are still going to be able to charge the bank's commissions um, for providing a uh, providing a loan. I mean, uh, I, I don't know about this. I think the way to save this, solve this issue is that the ASIC needs to have a, or, or the regulator needs to have a standard disclosure form, one page, not numerous pages like they like, one page saying what each person's commission or what the mortgage broker's commission is going to be and it all has to be in the one page, and everyone has to fill it in, and then you can compare it. But at the end of the day, no-one makes you go and use a mortgage breaker. You you, you can walk down Beaumont Street. All the four banks are there, and there's, I don't know, there's...
0: Yeah, plenty of other... Like, the other you know, there's rate,
1: the, the two local... Uh, well, Building Society and Local Bank, and there's a few other minor credit unions and stuff. You, you walk down balance Street and get quotes from 10 different institutions.
0: There, there has been a bit of... Uh, I've seen a lot of advertising, a bit of pushback from the mortgage-broking industry, I guess, saying that, like, where if we go, um, then everybody's... All the banks put the, the prices up. I mean, what are we thoughts on that? Oh... Oh, 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 Obviously, they're pushing their own wheelbarrow. I get
1: it. I, I think they're pushing it. I mean, I, I think the big issue is that the... Mor- I think what, what what the Hayden Royal Commission report said was that the Mortgage Brokers Commission needs to be paid directly by the people using their services. Mm. OK, the Mortgage Brokers' argument is that the people who are using their services have only just got the money to scrape together to get a deposit and they can't afford to pay the commission. Um, mostly uh, true, you would think? Yeah, mostly true. And I think the issue can be solved if there's a proper disclosure sheet, no more than one page. And I not understand why it could be done in half a page. I could write it out <laughs> in right. half a page, you know. Total commission received, trailing commission uh, percent per annum, and the trailing, total dollar value of the trailing commission received over the life of the loan. Now, mm. I, I, that's all you need to know. And I don't see why you couldn't do that and, yeah you a know, scrap of paper. Stephen, have
0: you have you read terms and conditions for anything
1: oh, anywhere? Yeah, I know. It's all out <laughs> of control. It's all out of control. <laughs> um, and then so so I think that's you know, that, that that's the problem. And but you know, you, you don't need to use a mortgage broker. You, you can walk down Beaumont Street and, you know, there there must be I don't know, th it, north of 10 financial institutions you could get a home loan from
0: one of them we'll uh, wrap up with at the moment cba yes yeah,
1: cba is after all this mortgage breaking stuff cba is a major shareholder in uh, aussie home loans or they might even own 100 percent now so simon sold that out to them some time mm-hmm. ago um so they've decided to exit the mortgage breaking business and confirm they're c- continuing to exit their wealth management business so, so
0: thoughts so. on why they've decided to do that
1: Ah oh, well there 's lots of problems in their wealth management business, and i don 't I think they 've realized that banks can 't actually run those mm-hmm. and um the mortgage breaking business i think you know there 's conflict of interest there you know and you know all too hard and get back to banking, which is probably where they should have stayed to start with. I mean, Back to their bread and butter. Yeah, I, I never understood why the banks encourage mortgage breaking to start with. I mean, I could understand why the smaller ones did, but I don't understand why the big ones did, because their big strength's their branch next week.
0: Uh, the CEO of NIB Health Fund's Mark Fitzgibbon and going to have a chat this afternoon about health insurance. Hi, Mark. Hi, Stephen. You
1: can hear me okay? I can hear you okay. It's good for you to come along. I know you're, you know, I know you're busy there at the moment. Um, That's okay, So uh, The government's proposing a lot of changes to... or the proposed government's proposing a lot of changes to health insurance. So one of the things I want to talk about is is people, when they're, they're looking at insurance, they, they tend to... You know, they wouldn't go without insuring their house or hopefully without insuring their car, or at the very least, you know, get uh, third-party police. So what about health? Do you find that sometimes people... Um, overlook health insurance or don't even think about it.
2: Yeah, I think health insurance is um, falls into that category where you don't need it until you do. Um, and it's not until people are actually confront it with a real life situation, be it you know serious illness or accident, that you know having the option of um, private health cover is, um, becomes very important. But I guess the other thing, Stephen, you know, people think, well, look, if I get really sick or badly injured, I've got Medicare and the public hospital system. And that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true, but, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that almost half of all hospital admissions today are, are, are privately funded by mm-hmm. private health insurance and 60% of all um, elective surgeries now in the private system. And if you're, you know, I think the average waiting time for a knee replacement is about 233 days mm-hmm. in the public system and, and in the private system about 43 days. So, you know, it's, it's, you know a lot of people often say to me it's... Um, not necessarily overrated until, you know, actually they're they're confronted with the, you know, reality of
1: a major surgery being required or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, I know from personal experience, I mean, you know, I've been in NRB for a long time and then a few years ago I needed some major surgery and, and, you know, it's just complete... And then for a part of the time I was in a public hospital and then I was in a private hospital and it's just a completely different experience. So, and NIB paid a lot of money. Um, so,
2: well, well, we do, and, you know, something I'm always reminding people, our claims, our premiums, are just simply a reflection of, um, you know, what we've what had to pay in claims to people, and some of those claims can be, you know, as much as half a million dollars a year. Sure, you know, we make a, a surplus on running a business, as all businesses have to to survive, but, you know, we're talking about six cents a the dollar
1: oh yeah i mean uh, people don't people forget that health insurance is a low margin type business and and uh, the the money that comes in most of it most of it you know 90 percent of it's going back out in claims to the people so if you if you put the if you, if you want to pay increased claims you've got to put the premiums up
2: yeah exactly and look we don't like doing that and um you know we're, we're trying really hard like premiums Eight, nine, ten years ago, we're going up six or seven percent. We got it down to close to three today. Mm-hmm. Uh, which simply reflects our claims inflation, and you know our premium increase this year was the lowest in sixteen years. So, mm-hmm. not suggesting we don't have we don't have to work even harder. We know people have got real struggles with affordability in some cases, and um, you know we are having a go there.
1: Yeah, but but your medical costs can you know. If you're in intensive care, um, you know, you're clocking up the bell at, you know, probably 3,000 a day, so, you know, it doesn't take long to get big medical bills if something serious goes wrong. So I don't know that people kind of appreciate but anyhow, the government's announced, uh, uh, the current federal government's announced uh, or introduced and announced na- a range of reforms to, to make health insurance more affordable and easier to understand. So, so what are they proposing or have done it there at the moment? Well, they've
2: pretty much formalised what a lot of insurers, including us, have been doing for a Long time, and that is started buying that was covered to give people choice. But mm-hmm. so if you're a young 25 year old, you really don't need, for other things being equal, a level of cover that you know covers, for example, obstetrics or orthodontics. Yep, if you haven't got a family. So, for some time, and you know, NIB led this, we've allowed people a level of choice. What the government has done is now wrapped wrapped around that a taxonomy, on, on the of the word of you know gold silver bronze yep. or basic so you are you can compare apples with apples like you know if you've got a gold product from NIV it's going to provide uh, the same level of cover uh, as a gold product from Booper or or Mediband private so it's making it easier for consumers but there's some other important reforms uh, people can now choose a higher uh, level of front-end deductible so whereas you know now you can only self-insure the first $500 under these reforms you'd be able to self-insure the first $750 uh, you know depending upon your own risk assessment mm-hmm. and uh, you know if you do we're, you know, for a lot of our policies if you take a high deductible you can actually reduce your premium
1: mm-hmm. and that was and
2: the, uh, yeah, I'm sorry.
1: That was the letter that was being sent out to various uh, by various health funds in the last month or so, and it's got the new policy schedule in. So, so yeah. people need to have a look at that, is what you're saying. Yeah,
2: and basically all policyholders can reduce... All members can reduce their premiums by choosing a higher fund deductible if they, if, they, if they think that is um, aligned with their you know, financial circumstances. The other big reform is we can now offer a, a discount to younger people because... The best thing you can do for keeping the, the pressure off everybody in the insurance pool is to attract more and more younger people into the system. Of course younger people tend to claim less less mm-hmm. and therefore reduce the average cost for everybody. So younger people under well, people under thirty well, not 68, I'm not sixty i still call myself young. Yep. Um, although I'm close. Um Don't we all. they 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 can reduce their premium by two percent for every year they are under Thirty. So, if you're 25, you
1: know you can reduce your premium by, um, you know, 10. percent Oh, okay, okay. So, so that's right across all the policies. That's right across all the policies. Yeah. Okay. So, why, why is the government um, wanting wanting to encourage people to go to private health insurance through you know the the rebate and and um, other incentives when they when they fund public hospitals and Medi Medicare?
2: Because it's more cost-effective. Yeah. You know, the, the, the private system is more cost-effective. So a dollar that the government spends on, on a, the health insurance subsidy, for example, would typically save about three or four in the public system. Now, you know, those who are kind of against private health insurance don't like to hear that, but it's, it's factual. And um, so it's a good way for Gunny that a government to spend this money. Rather than building new public hospitals... To support the private system and the private sector bills, hospitals, funds admissions,
1: etc. So, so when I was back in um, this personal experience, it's interesting when you're actually in hospital, you find out all these things. And I got admitted to the public hospital for a while. And the first thing, you know, the first thing they took after my name and address wanted me to sign a form to say that they could treat me as a private patient. So, why, why are they doing yeah. that? when it's paid for by the government.
2: Look, look the public hospitals are so strapped for cash. They're turning into an art form. This practice of, of of getting people who have private health insurance, who are entitled to free public health care, to sign up as a private uh, um, as a private patient, mm-hmm. and then they charge up. So it's just really, you know, an enormous cost shift away from government to the, to the members of private health insurance com- companies, uh, businesses, and. You know, it's not one we're particularly happy about because of double dipping by the public hospital. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I
1: was thinking, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, Medicare is still giving them their, their, their money from the public and then they send a bill out to the health fund as well for the same yeah, service. Yeah, that's,
2: that's right, yeah. So, the state government is still giving its global payment yep. to the public hospital based upon that public hospital may be seeing, you know, I don't know, 200,000 people in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that subsidy is not deducted discounted by the amount that we pay. Now the Commonwealth subsidy is. So the mm-hmm. Commonwealth actually like it's a bit all crazy. Like this dual yeah, the Commonwealth pay about forty five percent of public hospital admissions right. and they do. They do deduct from their from their subsidy any payment made by private health insurance but the state
1: don't. Okay, so so basically, when they come in to get you to sign up, it's so the the public system can double dip, and that's affecting your that's affecting your premiums as a private health
2: insurance. Yeah, well, well it is. You know, twenty percent twenty percent of our hospital payments now go to public hospitals. Now, ten years ago, that number was zero. So it's been a real had a real inflationary impact on. On premiums.
1: One of the one of the big problems that uh, people complain about, in my experience is these out of pocket costs. So, how do they come about, and is there anything people can do about them?
2: Yeah, look, it's a it's, it's a huge issue. So, we spend about two hundred billion a year on our healthcare costs, and about seventeen percent of that is actually out of pockets. Mm-hmm. Like even in a much maligned USA system, it's less than ten percent. So, we do have an issue with it. There are a couple of issues. First of all, we aren't allowed by law to cover costs outside of the hospital, which are covered by Medicare. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the doctor who operates on you in hospital, we can pay for her cost entirely with no out-of-pocket. Mm-hmm. But if you if you see her in um, in Hunter Street in her, in her surgery yep. and she charges you 400 bucks, and the Medicare rebate is only 100 mm-hmm. you have to wear that $300. We can't cover that. It's a real silly anachronism uh, in our in our system. The, the other factor is we need to get better as insurers in directing and steering our members towards those doctors who we know will accept our medigap offer. Mm-hmm. So the way it works, Stephen, is like if the Medicare schedule benefits hundred dollars, mm-hmm. we would typically offer the surgeon, the doctor, you know, one hundred six to one hundred and seventy, on the basis that they don't charge an out of pocket. Now. In the vast majority of cases doctors accept that as fair cop. Yep. But in about twenty percent of cases they say no, we want two hundred. And and once they decide not to accept our additional payment, you're either in or you're out, the poor old member, the poor their patient has a you know, using that simple example, a hundred dollar out of pocket. So there's a couple of things we need to uh fix uh in the system and in our own practice. Um you know, to, to reduce this exposure for, for, for people. Of course, the doctors hate the idea. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say. Doctors generally don't like the idea of health insurers steering people, you know, to doctors, because they're worried about how it may impact them. Um, but that's the future.
1: So, so in that example, why don't you write out and just say to your member, well, we would have paid this, but the doctor actually wanted that, and therefore you're only getting this amount of rebate.
2: Well, we are doing that now in as much as people, before they, they choose a, a doctor, a specialist, okay. a, a surgeon, yep. can contact us and we can guide them on the likelihood of that doctor to, to accept our, our, our gap payment, as it's called, called a Medigap payment, yep. in which case they'll have, um, no out of pocket. Now, so, if, you know, for any of your listeners, NIB members who, uh, Look like going to hospital, you know, for surgery in particular. Uh, I'd encourage them to contact us, and we'll, we, we can give them a heads up on whether or not that surgeon is likely to accept our Medigap payment, which will mean they'll have no out-of-pocket. Uh, subject to the anaesthetist and the any junior surgeon also accepting um, uh, that, our, that. our Medigap payment.
0: Mark, just on something you said before about um, health funds not legally not allowed to cover the the out of hospital stuff. Do you think whole funds would like to the system to change so that you can offer that complete coverage? Or, or do you think that if the system went that way, that would just push the, the prices up that the, the doctors, the anesthetists, whoever could charge because they would be in a situation that they could?
2: Yeah, look, we'd very much like it to happen. It would involve a cost shift. You know, us having to pick up that bill. But using that example, again, a simple hypothetical example, like said the doctor charged you $400, Medicare Gave you a hundred dollars back, so you had a three hundred dollars out of pocket. Where the efficiency sits is we negotiate a better rate with that doctor. We say, to the doctor, look, we're not paying 400 dollars. That's not competitive, and we can do better uh, for our member elsewhere. And so we might pay the doctor three hundred dollars instead of 400 dollars. So, the so the system as a whole becomes more efficient, even if it means we're going to have to absorb just this additional cost. But the other the other advantage of the, the system is that A, members don't have an out of pocket, you know, often a large out of pocket, and B, a closer relationship for us with, with, um, with, um, with doctors outside the hospital helps us work with the doctors in trying to keep people out of hospital. You know, there's about 12 million hospital admissions a year in Australia. Now, the evidence suggests that, you know, a million of those are potentially avoidable. You know, these are hospitalizations which occurred because you know Jack didn't take his old Jack didn't take his his flu shots mm-hmm. before winter, or a child wasn't properly immunised, mm-hmm. or somebody went to the hospital and acquired a, an infection in yep. hospital, which could have been avoidable. So you know we're looking as as an industry to play a, because we have the data and the science and the evidence and the systems and technology to to help support doctors more to augment their judgment decision making
0: with evidence and science and technology. And just like that, we're out of time. Mark Fitzgibber, thank you for joining Stephen on First Day Finance. Thanks,
1: Mark. It was very interesting. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye. And that is it, Steve. We've uh, actually run out of time. Uh, Thursday finance, and again, look with health insurance, there's all of those questions. And good, we got to cover some of them. We today. might see
1: if we can get Mark back when if the government changes, and we can talk about the proposed impact from their Changes will be.
0: Look, any any time there are changes to uh, insurance, a particular private health cover, there uh, it, it does pose a lot of questions so uh fingers okay. crossed he'll be available down the road okay but that's it for you you're off uh, have a, a great week you'll be back next week for thanks. another Thursday finance okay thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being pet care finance business and travel you'll find them all at 2NURFM.com